This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. If you had an extra hour in your day, what's the first thing you would do? Get outside more? Check in on that friend you've been meaning to catch up with? Maybe learn how to play an instrument? I know I've thought about what I would do with more time in my day, and many people daydream about what they might do in that scenario. The best way to squeeze that special thing into your actual schedule is to know what's important to you and take whatever reasonable steps you can to make those things more of a priority. Therapy can help you find what matters to you, so you can do more of it. Therapy is not just for people who've experienced major traumas. It's helpful for learning positive coping skills, how to set boundaries, and it empowers you to be the best version of yourself. If you're thinking about giving therapy a try, check out BetterHelp. It's fully online and designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a quick questionnaire that will match you up with a licensed therapist, and you can switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash FilmDaily today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash FilmDaily. This episode is sponsored by Marvel Strike Force. If you're looking for a superhero-themed mobile game, look no further. Marvel Strike Force is a mobile squad RPG that allows you to battle with your favorite team of superheroes and supervillains in a fight to save the universe against threats like Doctor Doom and Apocalypse. Your goal is to power up your favorite characters to complete missions, unlock gear and other resources, and beat other players in PvP modes like Alliance War and Real-Time Arena. The game is currently celebrating its six-year anniversary, and they're letting new users in on the celebration by providing free stuff, courtesy of our unique link in the show notes. The anniversary consists of weekly events and bonuses, and if you complete each event, you can receive special rewards and skins. Make sure to log in each day and each week to take advantage of all of the new characters that are being released specifically for this event. This will be Marvel Strike Force's most generous event to date, so don't miss out. We've received a unique promo code, so new users can follow our link in the description and use the promo code MAXPOOL. That's M-A-X-P-O-O-L. Thanks to Marvel Strike Force for sponsoring this episode. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Slash Film Show. Today is Thursday, August 24th, 2023. On today's episode, we're going to be talking about the first two episodes of the new Star Wars series, Ahsoka, and also we're going to chat a little bit about the trailer for Zack Snyder's Rebel Moon. My name is Ben Pearson. I'm an editor at SlashFilm.com, and I'm joined on today's episode by Slash Film editor Brad Oman. Hey, that's me. And Star Wars expert Brian Young. Hello, I'm delighted to be here. Ryan, we're so glad to have you back to talk a little bit about Star Wars, and uh, I'm especially glad to have you here because I did not watch any of Ahsoka, so you and Brad are going to be taking the lead on the conversation here. I'm basically just going to be sitting back and asking you guys a couple questions, but um, 
we have a review of Ahsoka that's in the show notes here. A bunch of this stuff is up on, we have a ton of coverage up on Flash Film, obviously. Uh, there's, Brian has written like detailed breakdowns of the first couple episodes. I've linked to those in the show notes. Um, but yeah, let's kick things off. Brian, you're our guest here. So I want to go to you first. What do you, uh, I guess, what was your like gut reaction to the first two episodes of Ahsoka? You know, watching Ahsoka, uh, it was pretty clear right from the get-go that this was pretty much a continuation of the storytelling in Rebels Season 4, which ended sort of on a cliffhanger. But the thing I was really struck by watching it was how much it felt like everyone was sort of in the same boat as far as jumping into something we didn't quite understand because much more time had elapsed than we thought, and things weren't in place that we thought we were. So the thing I was really excited about was how... Dave Filoni kind of took that in media res storytelling that George Lucas was really known for and dropped us in the middle of something we didn't understand or quite understand. And there's still a lot of unanswered questions um, in a way that I thought was really interesting. And, you know, we got some really cool action. We got some really cool character moments and we've got some really cool new characters. So I'm really excited to see where this goes. Brad, what about you? Uh, yeah, I liked Ahsoka uh, for the most part as far as this two-episode premiere is concerned. Now, unlike Brian, uh, who is like ingrained in every single aspect of Star Wars, I haven't kept up uh, super closely with the animated side of the Star Wars universe. Um, I've kept up with the live-action shows. Obviously, I'm a big movie fan. Um, you know, I, I knew stuff about the expanded universe back in the day before they became legends. Um, but I'm not like super entrenched when it comes to the lore of the animated side of the universe. So uh, for me... I, I had a little bit of, I guess, difficulty like connecting to the show on a certain level because it feels like there's so much history from uh, Rebels and Clone Wars. And, and granted, I know like the finer points of what happened in those shows and the characters and that kind of thing just from being, you know, a Star Wars fan and doing this job for, for Slash Film. You know, it's, it's just what we do. Um, but it does feel like uh, it's, it's kind of a, a slower start. And I hope like it, it's ramping up to something that will gradually... Uh, become bigger and start to feel, I guess, more like an event series because you know this is a it's a shorter series run, um, and it, this is supposed to be like uh, leading up to you know whatever will happen with Dave Filoni's uh, Star Wars movie that has already been announced. So I think that um, there's a lot of potential here. Um, I think maybe a little bit of hiccups uh, here and there because I think for me, even though you. You could easily jump in and watch the show without having seen Rebels or Clone Wars because, it, it, like like Brian said, it kind of works in the same way that the first Star Wars movie does. It it throws you in the middle of this world without necessarily explaining the, the, the rules or anything like that. It lets you discover things as it goes along. But Ahsoka, it almost feels like they're throwing it in, into into this story and there's obviously a time gap of stuff that we don't know happened. Even people who watch Rebels and Clone Wars don't know a lot of stuff that happened between here. But I think some more casual fans might assume that there's a bunch of homework that needs to be done and maybe they won't be as, as invested in the show that I think that's my biggest concern. What do you make of that, Brian? Um, I mean, I, I, I don't disagree with Brad on some level. I know that, uh, you know, when, um, Bo-Katan showed up on the Mandalorian, the fans went to clone wars to say, I want to learn more about this. And I feel like, Um, people started doing that with Ahsoka when she started showing up on Mandalorian and that the rebels characters 
will probably inspire people to go back and watch it, not as homework, but just because it's a pleasure to watch Star Wars stuff. And I'll be honest, some of the the storytelling in Rebels, there's there's probably half a dozen episodes there that I would stack up uh, as some of the greatest Star Wars stories ever told. So I'm not sure that a lot of people are going to find it a chore. I think they'll probably find that a lot of people are excited to go back. But I think, to Brad's point, there are people who will find that a chore and might not want to go back. Mm-hmm. Um and I think I think that the, it's it's interesting to see what they were actually planning. When you think about Mandalorian season three and Book of Boba Fett, how everything sort of got shifted around after the cancellation of Rangers of the New Republic, what you would have had was three stories in the New Republic era traveling in parallel. Mandalorian taking care of the underworld and the story of Mandalore, then Rangers of the New Republic handling the government and bureaucracy that we ended up getting in Mandalorian season three, and then Ahsoka handling the force aspects and the mystical overarching aspects of the universe. Um, It's interesting to see what it would be interesting to see what that plan was initially and if this would have hit differently had we had Rangers of the New Republic and a different Mando season three. But uh, I do think that uh, fans of The Mandalorian are going to come to this because it is a continuation of those stories in that era. And they're going to want to know what's going on, if not to know what's going on in Rebels in the past, but what's going to happen in Mando season four in the future, which John Favreau said he wrote already in tandem with uh dave filoni writing ahsoka so that they would fit hand in glove mm-hmm. so one thing i want to ask before we take a break and get into like some more specifics is for both of you like what do you think about the craft of this show um i guess in terms of the the look and how or if it differentiates itself at all from Mandalorian because like I said I haven't seen any of it I'm guessing all of our listeners who are who have made it this far have but I'm just wondering what you guys think about like the yeah the the craft aspect of it uh it it feels like a tv show it definitely doesn't have the the quite the grand scope of a a star wars movie yet which you know on some level is fine but I always do I if I have one consistent issue I think with star wars shows it's that it's it's very hard to make Star Wars fully feel like Star Wars in TV form because it's inherently cheaper. You know, there's um, there's just something that is always going to be so so big and grand about putting the Star Wars universe on the big screen and you know making it feel properly uh, lived in and, and expansive and whatnot. And uh, the the shows do you know a decent enough job as, as they can with the tools they have at their uh, disposal. But I feel like there is like a little bit of a, a scarcity, you know, in when you look at like the uh, the production design and whatnot, everything looks good. It fits perfectly in the Star Wars universe. It's, no one's doing a bad job. There's just a clear difference between the scale that they're putting on the screen because it's it's a television production. I think one thing it's it's interesting to note too is that the strata of like characters that we get in these shows sort of defines what the the background and the craft looks like with Mandalorian. We've got lots of cities and bars and, you know, underworld sort of places. And here we have much more mystical locations and there's this, um, you know, the opening of the show feels very much like an abandoned temple, like you might see in an Indiana Jones film or fifth element, or there's moments in the second episode toil and trouble, which itself is a Macbeth reference, which 
I think if Filoni's following that George Lucas pattern, uh, is thinking more about Throne of Blood from Kurosawa than you know Macbeth itself, you've got these witches and you've got these dark former Jedi who are in these locations that feel like they're from a Kurosawa movie, right? Like that that temple on Cetos, uh, or that broken. I don't know if it's a temple. It's sort of that astrological, you know, Stonehenge sort of thing. It feels yeah. like the woods that you'd get outside of Spiderweb's castle in Throne of Blood. You know what I mean? So, like, the look and the feel of it is very different and much more mystical. But the craft of putting it together, I think, as far in, in terms of, like, the quality of acting is as good as anything in Star Wars. The music, Kevin Kiner really brought it with... Uh, that sort of uh, vibe that and I think he helps sell it a lot. And I think the characters are doing interesting things and the fate of the galaxy is, is at stake. And I think there's really interesting things in the filmmaking that uh, go back to those hallmarks of George Lucas's strengths. But mm-hmm. so, so I think, I think that there's, there's really good stuff there in the craft that's worth, that's worth looking at. But I think to Brad's point, yeah, it does feel smaller because it's, it's on a smaller screen. Even if it was on a, uh, you know, a, a big screen, it would still feel a little smaller. So one final question before we take a break and then get into the back half of the show, I wanted to ask you, Brian, especially since you are so immersed in all of this, what do you think about Dave Filoni's evolution as a storyteller? Like he, he co-wrote these, or I think actually just straight up wrote these first two episodes. He directed this first episode, um, you know, coming from that world of animation, he's, he's dipped his toe into the live action realm before. What do you think about how he has uh, yeah, evolved or changed or, or developed as a storyteller? I think one of the things that he's developed a lot over the years is uh, he's really adapted the lessons that George Lucas taught him firsthand when he was working on Clone Wars. He's not afraid anymore to lean into. I don't think he was afraid in the first place, but George Lucas really sort of pushed him in that in that way to have him lean into um Star Wars, right? To lean into the inspirations behind Star Wars and the things about himself that he finds interesting to put into the stories, right? Like Dave Filoni's really into wolves. Like we know that. We had the Loth Wolves come through in Rebels. We had Commander Wolf in Clone Wars. And now we have Hattie and Skull, right? Balin Skull and Shin Hattie. And, and, you know, Dave Filoni's taking this back even further with that Norse mythology. Uh, where Hattie and Skull were the wolves that chased the wolf in the moon. Um, So like you see him leaning into the more uh, esoteric aspects of the things that make him tick and that he's interested in. And that's something that I think George Lucas really pushed him to and, and to take risks, right? Like Dave Filoni was the one who told George Lucas, like, no, we can't bring Darth Maul back. And George Lucas was like, "Meh, it's star Wars. Yeah, we can. And George Lucas, and Filoni is now willing to take more of those risks. Like, yeah, I can stab Sabine in the chest with a lightsaber. Like, cool. We'll figure that out. <laughs> um, you know, so so I think he's become more daring in some of those things. Um, I think in other ways, he's become a little bit more safe, too. Right. Like he's always going to have a happy ending on his stories, even if there's those dark moments. Star Wars is ultimately hopeful. And I think I think Dave Filoni is always going to give us those styles of, of story in this universe. Okay, cool. So let's take a quick break and then we'll be right back. Say goodbye 
to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. All right. So as I mentioned, we have two very detailed breakdowns from Brian on the site. I'm going to link to those in the show notes. Uh, the first one is about the first episode, Master and Apprentice. The second, obviously, is about the second episode, Toil and Trouble. And you mentioned the uh, the allusion to uh, Kurosawa and, and Macbeth in that second episode title there, Brian. But I wanted to ask you about the episode titles, both of them, and and they're the layers that they, you know, that, that you yeah, Brian, you read into uh- them. Whenever we've done the recap episodes, you always have obviously have a, a very um, good interpretation of the titles because they often come with double meanings, sometimes even triple meanings. So, yeah, I, I wanted you specifically to dive into this. <laughs> yeah, the titles. I mean, for Master and Apprentice, obviously, you have the relationship between Hera and Sabine, but there's also that uh, relationship between Balin Skull and Shin Hattie. Um, but there's these hierarchies of who's a master and who's an apprentice in what regard throughout the whole episode, where does Hera fit in with Ahsoka and uh, with Sabine in that level, right? Because Ahsoka seems to be reporting to Hera almost like she might be a master as well. Um, And then you have Skull and Hattie doing the same thing with um, uh, Morgan Elsbeth, who we, we learn is a witch of Dathomir. And so you've got, these different hierarchies and different people sort of respecting people in different ways across that entire episode. But it's also part of that surprise that we learn that Ahsoka had taken Sabine as her official, you know, Padawan, uh, you know, which is, which was very surprising. So that's sort of the, the on the surface meaning for toil and trouble. Like I said, the, the, the line from Shakespeare comes from the witches and we get our glimpse of Dathomiri magic from one of the witches uh, or ancestors of witches of Dathomir in this. Um, but, to, you know, there's there's also something sort of hidden beneath that and these sneaky machinations that are going on of the witches through everything. The entire storyline of them going to Corellia is the work of that witch, you know, pulling strings from behind the curtain uh, and and we see that it's infected every layer of the New Republic. And so I think um, you you also have some things where Elsbeth could be, I don't know, I, I get this vision and maybe I'm wrong, but that Elsbeth might be positioning herself as sort of the, the woman whispering in Thrawn's ear the same way Macbeth's wife is to him or or that we see that that same thing play out in in Kurosawa's Throne of Blood. (laughs) So I think it could be a hint as much as something in the episode itself. Yeah, I mean, if if nothing else, I hope this encourages our listeners to go out and watch Throne of Blood if you haven't seen it, because it's an incredible movie. Um, So hopefully, yeah, maybe maybe just the, you know. Yeah. Um, uh, Brad, I, I'm, like I said, I'm, I'm kind of flying in the dark here. So I, what other observations did you have about these first two episodes that you thought might be interesting to talk about here? Uh, you know, one of the things uh, that was interesting to me is like, um, kind of like, is you really get a sense of like Dave Filoni continuing to, you know, borrow 
um, you know, things from from other movies, you know, whether it's, you know, classic stuff, like classic adventure serial kind of stuff or, uh, you know, even newer kind of vibes, uh, like specifically that opening sequence, you know, Brian talks about where Ahsoka is uh, in the, the room trying to put together that puzzle and uh, get the, the orb that leads to a map. Um, some pe- more, you know, uh, modern fans might have thought of Guardians of the Galaxy. It very much uh, calls back to the opening vibe. But this is also, you know, classic Indiana Jones and just like, you know, going so so far back until, you know, classic black and white adventure serials, too. And I've always liked that repurposing of, you know, old stuff into, you know, making something new for Star Wars. And I like the patience with which something like that was crafted, too. It's a very quiet scene. You know, it doesn't rush into it. It doesn't force uh, any dialogue or anything like that. Um, I, I like that Filoni, you know, knows how to to tell a story like that without necessarily needing to to push anything that feels uh, unnatural. Although I will say the one thing that is frustrating is something that does feel unnatural is the uh, super long pauses between dialogue. Like, time to speed it up, all right? Like, we don't need <laughs> the, the long, you know, glances and everything of, like, everyone pondering every single word that they're saying. Like, we can we can speed up that dialogue a little bit. Um, and then similarly, uh, I, I was uh, very much reminded... Um, of J.J. Abrams' Star Trek with the introduction of where Sabine is at now with her racing that speeder uh, down the uh, the freeway uh, and dealing with those um, those pilots because uh, I, I could easily hear Beastie Boy Sabotage playing during that sequence. And someone actually even took Sabotage and edited it to that um, that uh, sequence from Ahsoka. So you should... Uh, I, I found it on, on uh, Twitter. So uh, you can look that up and see see that video there. But um, And I like the use of modern uh, sounding music there too as well. It's nice to see Filoni kind of breaking away from uh, certain Star Wars traditions like that um, and, and using a different style of, of music. Because I uh, Brian talked about the score earlier and I really appreciate the, the new vibes that the music does uh, here because to me, this, this series kind of feels like Dave, Dave Filoni doing almost like a Game of Thrones, uh, Star Wars kind of story. And the score kind of has that vibe. Um, it has a little bit more of a fantasy epic vibe to it than we're used to hearing in Star Wars, kind of similar to how the Mandalorian brought in these like, uh, tribal musical tones and things like that to create the, the theme for Mando. Um, so, so yeah, there's, there's a lot of, uh, little stuff like that, that I really appreciate throughout the episode. Brian, one of the things that you do so well in, in your articles is you, you, go deep and like, you know, pull out Easter eggs and, and references and stuff that a lot of people might may have missed. And I was wondering if there are any things that that you saw in these first two episodes that, um, you know, I, I obviously, I don't want to like, I don't want you to give away every single thing that's, <laughs> that's in these articles. Yeah. I want to encourage people to read them. But was there like one thing or maybe two things that like really set off your star, your Star Wars radar of like, oh, man, I can't believe they did that. The biggest one, actually, it starts the whole series, right? we see that that rebel captain on that ship waiting for home one, the rebel captain, by the way, played by the same guy who played Drake in aliens, which is the, the second time Filoni's brought one of those aliens actors into star Wars and uh, home one sort of clicks those, those gears because home one is obviously Admiral Akbar ship from return of the Jedi in the second battle of, uh, uh, or the battle of the second death star. And then, when Hera and Ahsoka start talking and they have their meeting on the ship, I just had this really like big smile on my face because they're having their meeting and they're watching this video of Balin Skull and Shin Hattie in the same room that the rebels got their briefing uh, on the battle of the second death star in 
Return of the Jedi, where Luke comes in and says, you know, I'm with you too. And Han gets revealed to be the person leading the ground assault and Lando's a general. And it's that same room and they recaptured it so beautifully. Um, and it was subtle. Like they didn't draw a whole bunch of attention to it. They said, this is home one. And that was about it. And they didn't like, they didn't have the characters look around and go like, wow, look at how much history has happened <laughs> on screen in this, in this scene. It, it sort of blows right past it. And they, they do that a lot with, with a number of things, especially with the Lothal locations, right? That communications tower has so many, props that were Ezra's that uh that Sabine's living in that that made me really that made me really smile that's excellent um okay so I guess let's get into some speculation like this is one of the things that that you guys have done so well in in the previous uh Star Wars podcast and I'm I'm sorry that we're not like going like as detailed as you guys used to do back in the day but we sort of have like a different mandate with the podcast these days. We don't really have the time to, to dive as deeply as we, as we used to. But um, I'm curious what you guys think about like what you've seen so far and what you think it's setting up for the future. Um, Brad, I want to start with you. What, do you. what are your predictions going forward? Um, so uh, this isn't necessarily uh, a prediction, but one thing I, I, I do think would be interesting to follow up on, even though I don't think they're necessarily going to lean into this territory because it would just be a complete like, game changer for star wars overall but it would allow them to do some interesting things with like overall larger storytelling is uh we we know that there is uh an aspect to time travel in star wars because of star wars rebels and the same kind of thing uh is hinted at here with elizabeth talking about reaching across time and space to find thrawn figure out where he is uh that kind of thing and so um you know, whatever manner they, they're using in order to get to Thrawn and everything like that would imply that there's the possibility, you know, again, of time travel in Star Wars. And so I feel like it would be very cool if they were able to open up that possibility to allow for, you know, some kind of a uh, different approach to to storytelling, whether it's something that, like, you know, deals with parallel universes uh, or simply just is, allows characters to, you know, try to like go back in time or go ahead in time and allow us to approach the storytelling in a, you know, a completely different uh, way. And I might even allow, you know, them to fix things that some people might think are broken in star Wars. Um, <laughs> but I, you know, I, I, I sincerely doubt that that's something that's going to happen, but I do think what um, is very intriguing so far uh, is uh, ha- having uh, Janati uh, and Balin Kroll be the characters who are, they clearly have some kind of other, uh, motivation, or at least, at least Balin does, um, and I, I think that his his approach to what's happening is going to be maybe the most interesting part uh, about what happens with uh, the plot involving Thrawn and whatnot. I'm very curious to see how that the villain side of all this uh, plays out. But um, yeah, that's 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 where I'm at as far as speculation. How about you, Brian? I think I'm I'm in the same boat with you as far as Balin Skull and and his apprentice. I think Balin is hands down the most interesting character we've seen. Uh, or not interesting. I think Ahsoka and Hera and Sabine and and the, what they're going through is plenty interesting. But the one that raises the most sort of red flags of like this is different is Balin's skull. And I I wonder if Dave Filoni sort of took uh, a page out of Timothy Zahn's notebook. Timothy Zahn was the guy who originally created Thrawn and wrote Thrawn, and his idea for Thrawn was I'm going to create a uh, an imperial leader and an enemy for Luke and the heroes of the rebellion in a way you haven't seen before, right? Like 
all the rest of them, uh, you know, they rule by fear and there's a level of incompetence and none of them are like superior tacticians and Thrawn is going to lead with loyalty and he's going to be hyper competent and he's going to be sophisticated and not like moved to anger. Right. And he's just going to be different than we've seen. And as we go through and we look at dark side users across the Star Wars mythos, uh, particularly in the, the Skywalker saga and things adjacent to the Skywalker saga, force users are sort of like uh, dark side users specifically are very un, unhinged. They're, you know, killing people willy nilly. They're quick to anger. They're really tapping into the dark side in these really uh, mean ways. But Skull is very understated. And that line he has at the end of the second episode where he's actually pitying the idea, you know, that he would call it a shame that he would have to be killing Ahsoka because there's so few, so few Jedi left in the world. And that his Padawan actually has a Padawan braid and that he's adhering to so much of the Jedi order. And he has this calm stillness to him and this sorrow to him. It really makes me so fascinated in what is actually making his character tick and what that power such as we've never seen that he's seeking is going to be for. And it's almost a little scary to see someone on the dark side, have that much control without that evil per se to them. Um, and so I think he's going to be the one that's, that's going to be the one to watch uh, going forward. But I think the other, the other thing prediction wise is just, um, I think some fans might get twisted up a little bit about Sabine as Ahsoka's Padawan. And, but I think that through the course of the series, Filoni is going to explain that quite capably in a way that right now we feel a little bit dropped into. Mm. Um, yeah, it definitely seems like a big deal, like even from the outside in that uh, for them to just, yeah, drop in and, and not give you all that backstory. Um, but yeah, it certainly feels like a big deal. What were you going to say, Brad? Brian, do you think that there's any possibility because they've established that Thrawn is in a completely different galaxy um, that this could open up the opportunity for Dave Filoni to bring in the Yusan Vong into uh, the fray? I mean... Dave Filoni could bring anything you wanted. I mean, like you're going to get the same answer. Like it's possible. I doubt it. I don't, I don't think anybody actually really, I don't think anybody, I don't get the impression and I could be wrong that anyone internally really feels like that's the move to make because that would be such a galaxy altering thing. And there's so many references to it that the sequel trilogy would have had to have had that, that are missed. I really do think that Dave Filoni's building toward the first order is the big major threat. Um, and I think, well, Filoni and Favreau, right? We saw with Mando season three, them building toward that first order thing. Yeah. I think what, Fil- what Filoni is really doing and, and maybe the use on Vong is, is a component of that and definitely being from a different galaxy entirely. That's possible. Um, but I think he's working to fill in some of those question marks that people had that might keep them, at arm's length from the sequel trilogy, the same way he filled in those blanks with clone wars for folks who, uh, at least have a better, a more begrudging respect for the prequels and the stories they tried to tell because of the, the things he filled in. I think he's doing that same thing with the sequel trilogy, whether he likes it or not. Yeah. I think that's one of the things that I'm somewhat concerned about with a lot of the stuff that is happening with Mandalorian and Ahsoka and, 
leading to a big kind of movie style event because one of the things that it feels like it could potentially be weird and like you mentioned they've kind of been planning these breadcrumbs of like establishing the first order leading into the sequel trilogy but like i feel like whatever happens in you know this this movie and with the the rest of the series as they play out can only be so big because if it, if something happens that it was it's that was big enough to be this big of a deal, why wouldn't there be any mention of it whatsoever by any character in any of you know the future movies or anything like that? Like you would think that that would be something that would have been you know established so much that it would at least come up at you know at any given point, especially if there's like another war at risk and and all these kinds of things. I mean, it's the same thing where like. How often do people reference like, well, Maul came back. That was a big deal. But like 40 people knew about that. Right. 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 You know what I mean? Um, and I remember when Force Awakens came out, they were like, Ray doesn't mention midi-chlorians. Like, clearly they're trying to retcon midi-chlorians. It's like, no, Ray just doesn't have any context or reference for why she needs, like, why would Ray need to mention midi-chlorians for you to jump to the conclusion that they're retconning them out. You know what I mean? Like, I think there's probably ways to compartmentalize this to make it, if, if the major action happens in that other galaxy, that's the reason we, we wouldn't have heard about that in the sequel trilogy. Right. Like it's just not common knowledge. Um, to, to fall back on the, the Yuzan Vaughn thing. Uh, I, I do, again, this, this goes back and this is just kind of like a pipe dream wish because it would be a cool way for them to, deliver things to fans who want to wanted to see something different other than what the sequel trilogy delivered because establishing you know a different galaxy you know doing something that could involve a parallel universe and if you did introduce the Usain Vong you know it would give you this like chance to create a essentially like a parallel you know d- dimension where you could watch a different story with play out with you know an older Luke Skywalker and kind of adapt new Jedi or that kind of thing even if they just did something like that in like animated form and took star wars legends and turned them into something that felt like you know a star wars visions chapter or something like that i feel like that would be incredibly cool to see but i sincerely doubt they would ever do anything like that yeah so yeah sorry go ahead brian oh no i was gonna say yeah i don't i don't see them doing that either but you know more visions i would love to see them do more animated stuff with the legends continuity and label it legends because i think now we've got a good hang on uh, you know what's legends and what's canon and what's not but yeah like if, if, if marvel can do you know what if stuff then you know i feel like there's no reason for star wars not to like do fun legend stories in a completely different format yeah so i wanted to wrap up with a, a brief discussion of the trailer for rebel moon which is Zack snyder's uh, new project that's coming out on netflix uh at the end of this year it's actually like a big two-part movie event thing the second part is coming out in april of next year um the reason i wanted to incorporated into this discussion is because it it started as a star wars project in Zack snyder's mind um i think he pitched it to lucasfilm back in the day like in that sort of pre-2015 period post disney acquisition of lucasfilm and obviously it ended up ended up not happening there but um he is now you know whatever all these years later uh and this has been a project that's been on his mind you know well before that too um he's now turned it into this big like Zack snyder full-blown sci-fi epic thing um Brian, have you had a chance to watch this trailer yet? So I wouldn't say that's the right term. I haven't watched it, but I haven't actually been interested in watching it. Okay. Um, (laughs) Like when people were like, we need to get Zack Snyder making Star Wars. I was like, you don't understand Star Wars. Um, (laughs) And yeah, so like I just I haven't had any interest in it. Uh, If I would have realized we'd have been talking about it, I would have checked it out. But uh, the the 
the story you've got is correct as far as I've heard, like internally and externally, like Zack Snyder went in, like everybody was going in to pitch Star Wars movies and they kind of pat him on the head and say, thanks for, but no thanks. And he was like, well, fine, I'm going to take this and I'm going to make it at Netflix with Blackjack and hookers. And that's pretty much what it is. <laughs> I haven't, haven't heard it put in quite those terms, but, uh, but I appreciate it. Um, I actually, I actually, I, I think, I think those were the original titles for the two movies. It was Rebel Moon Blackjack and Rebel Moon Hookers. <laughs> uh, yeah. I, I apologize for springing this on you, um, Brian. Before, oh no, it's okay. You know, um, but, uh, but Brad, what did you think about the trailer for Rebel Moon? Um, I, I'm, I'm at least intrigued and interested. Zack Snyder is, an interesting enough filmmaker, even if what he does isn't, doesn't necessarily always turn out to be good. I'm always going to be interested in seeing what he's doing. Um, there's some really cool visuals here. I, I, I think it's a it's a big, huge scope of movie that we don't see uh, very often anymore. Even even the blockbusters made today don't really feel quite as big as this. There's something about the the scale of this that feels uh, massive. Uh, but having said that, the the trailer didn't do a lot to get me excited for it. I, I still have just this kind of natural curiosity, only because they call it a teaser. It's it's almost four minutes, so that feels wrong. Um, but <laughs> but it's but it's a teaser because it doesn't really tell you what the story is. It kind of just gives you this like general it's... space fairy tale layout with a voiceover from Anthony Hopkins. It's like, hey, look at all this cool stuff uh, Which... and, and space and and fantasy and all everything. <laughs> To be fair, it's Zack Snyder. That could be the whole story. That's, I mean, and that's that's very true. But yeah, um, I I I'm very curious to see how uh, Lord of the Star Thrones Fury Road turns out. <laughs> yeah, I have to say that I was kind of intrigued by this as well. I mean, Zack Snyder's not my favorite filmmaker, but um, I, I like to see the sort of pure uncut version of what he has in his mind. Like Sucker Punch is way more interesting to me than anything that he did in the DC universe because. Sucker Punch just came from him, right? And he, I think he co-wrote this script, but this has been a Zack Snyder project for a long time, like a, a passion of his. And anytime anybody gets to make a, a passion project, I'm just like curious about how that turns out. And Zack Snyder is like one of those directors. He may be like, I'd have to think about this before I like fully committed to this idea, but right now I cannot think of another, like um, I guess let's just say American filmmaker who deals as much in iconography as Zack Snyder does. Like there are so many sort of slow-mo, um, you know, power shots for lack of a better term. And, and he, he really knows the power of an image and, and uh, create like using iconography to, to build the mythos of, of the world that he creates. So um, there's so much of that going on in this teaser trailer here. So uh, yeah, I'm, I'm very curious to see how it turns out. Like it seems kind of um, just from this teaser, maybe a little, a little too earnest, but that kind of overly earnest uh, vibe is kind of what Zack Snyder is like as a person. Like if you've ever interviewed him or, or watched interviews with him or uh, spoken with him on a set or anything like that, he uses the word awesome more than anyone I've ever heard <laughs> in, in uh, quick succession. And he just seems he's like, like, he's like a wholesome bro. <laughs> he is. Yes. That's, that's very much the vibe. And um, so yeah, getting like a, a pure look into his like, you know, what he wants to do as a storyteller without being shackled by uh, any, you know, major um, uh, IP um, uh, what would, uh, constraints is the word I was looking for. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm very curious to see how this turns out. And it could be a giant disaster, but I guess at the very, very least, at least he's not 
working on you know a, a bigger uh, piece of IP that everybody cares about. So like he's over in the corner at Netflix is doing his own thing. And and I'm interested in that. And maybe other people are just like, Oh, thank God he's not at DC anymore. And, and he's not able to like mess with our childhoods or whatever. I don't, I don't really care as much about that, but, um, but yeah, I, I just have to say, I'm like, I was surprised at how uh, on board I was with this trailer. So um, I, I guess, I mean, for me, like I'm, I'm interested in, in kind of what you hit upon is that like, he's a really terrific visual filmmaker, um, but he's, but, I will put up with the worst visuals for the best story. And he's never for me really quite put that together. Like um, sucker punch looked cool. Um, but it, it, it kind of fell flat for me or Watchmen looked mm-hmm. beautiful, yep. but it, it seemed to misunderstand the subversive nature of the material. Like it's just, um, you know, story is what I really gravitate to, and Zack Snyder's re- not really wowed me that way. I mean, there there have been moments, right, when he did his Day of the Dead remake, um, or Dawn of the Dead remake, yeah. mm-hmm. um, where that material was all laid out for him. It was it was much better. I think that might be one of his one of his best outings, story wise, oh, yeah. definitely. Um, so I'm interested in this. I mean, like anything that says I'm taking, like I want to do Seven Samurai in Star Wars. No, I can't do it in Star Wars. Um, I'm just going to make my own universe. I'm interested in seeing how that turns out, but uh, you know, I'm, I'm not holding my breath. Yeah. Well, one of the key things you said there, Brian was like the, the idea that he's misunderstood some of the properties that he's been involved with. And I think uh, removing the ability for him to misunderstand the source material um, is only a good thing in my view. Like he he's generating yeah. the source material here. So um, yeah. So hopefully it'll be uh at least something that we, that will uh, you know get people talking when it comes out around December of this year. So, um, all right, this has been great. Uh, I guess Brian, where can people find more of your work online? Uh, well, I mean, you can always go to Slash Film where I'm covering Ahsoka every week and go dig deep into the back catalog of my my work there, where I've I've been covering pretty much every show for the last five or six years, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, or you can find me uh, if you like listening to me talk about Star Wars. I am one of the hosts of the Full of Sith podcast. Or you can find anything about my writing at swankmotron.com. And that's also where you can find me on social media. Just about everywhere there is social media at swankmotron. Yeah, Brad, where can people find you? You can always find me doing stuff at slashfilm.com uh, or on Twitter at Ethan underscore Anderton. Uh, I'm also over at Blue Sky if you want to go over there instead since Twitter's a garbage fire these days. Um, and uh, I want to say, too, that uh, even though we're not doing regular recap episodes anymore, uh, when um, whenever Brian uh, gets around to uh, doing this, uh, me and Peter will probably head over to be on the Full of Sith podcast at some point to talk about Star Wars. Um, and hopefully at some point, maybe we can get Peter back for like a, a guest episode. And I do want to give a shout out to him real quick because him and Kitra uh, are dealing with a really stressful, shitty situation because of uh, Hurricane uh, Hillary coming through Southern California uh, and did some damage to uh, their their residents. And so they're dealing with a lot of crap right now. So I just want to give a shout out to Peter since he can't be here. Uh, and hopefully maybe, maybe when the finale comes around, we can get Peter back and we can uh, do, do something like this to talk about the, the end of Ahsoka. Yeah, that'd be awesome. And and yeah, hearts go out to Peter, man. I, I feel so terrible for all that. It's, it's awful. Um, he's been working on that, the roof of his, I mean, longtime listeners of this podcast will remember him talking for like years yeah. about the, the stuff that he's had to go through at the, at the place where they've been living. So um, the fact that Hurricane came through there and 
tore that place up is uh is obviously really awful so um okay i think uh oh yeah you can find me on twitter and instagram at ben pairs if you want to check that out uh and then yeah you can find more about all the stories that we mentioned on today's show at slashfilm.com and linked inside the show notes for this episode the slash film show is published two times a week bringing you the most exciting news from the world of movies and tv as well as deeper dives into the great features you can find on the site you can subscribe to the show on apple google overcast spotify all the popular podcast apps please subscribe to our newsletter and send your feedback questions comments concerns and mailbag topics to us at the uh, sorry b pearson at slashfilm.com please make sure to leave your name and general geographic location in case we mention your email on the air don't forget to rate and review the show on apple Podcasts or spotify tell your friends spread the word thank you so much for listening thank you to brian for being here and we will talk to you all next week Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. 